At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Oi, oi, I'm Jimmy Bullard, and this is me old muck of Benners. We're back together, son. How are you? Hi, Bully. Great to be back working with you. What are we doing here, though? We're starting a football club in podcast form. The only thing we know, it's called FC Bullard. After that, it's all up for grabs. So, we haven't got any players, we haven't got a kit, we haven't got a club badge, we haven't got a stadium. Correct. FC Bullard. Welcome to the club. This is a crowd podcast. This episode is sponsored by Mel's Alloway, which is a fantastic name. Mel's enjoyed the first Patreon newsletter, and you could too. To be more like Mel's, go to patreon.com forward slash Joe Marler Show and grow the show. Cue the jingle. Grow the show if you know Joe and Tom for everyone. Oh, spread the word. Have you heard Joe Marla's show? Joe Marla's show. Hello and welcome to our show. I'm Joe Marla and this is Tom Fordyce. So there was a time in my life when I was about 10 when I really fancied being called Tommy. And that didn't stick? No, it didn't stick, no. What about Thomas? I still get that from uh, from my mum if I've done something she doesn't approve of. I definitely get a Thomas. I like that. I like that a lot. Hey, Joe, bit of news. Today's guest is a listener. Now, this worked out really well with BJ. It's nice to have listeners, Joe, number one. Number two, apparently from Steve's perspective, it just makes things easier for him because it streamlines the guest booking process. Yeah, well, that sums Steve up, really, doesn't it? You know, lazy sod. doesn't want to book anyone so we have to just rely on listeners to go yeah i'll be a guest on the next show and hope and hope and pray that they're a funny or b interesting or c lovely yeah so no i'm looking forward to this one joe we've had some more emails right here's one from georgie dear joe and tom first of all I just want to say what a massive fan I am of the show. I've listened to every episode and my favourite so far would have to be about Joe, about tattoo artists and about midwives. My name's Georgie, I'm 23 and I'm a paralegal who lives in Suffolk and works in Essex. Is that a para-eagle or a paralegal? What is a paralegal, Joe? If it's a para-eagle, that means she's actually half parrot, half eagle (laughs) and she can talk and type. And if that is the case, I 100% want her on the show and we need to make that happen ASAP. If it's paralegal, then I have no idea what that is. Is it someone who, if you need a legal in an emergency, they are dropped out of a plane, <coughs> then they pull the ripcord and they just... And they're, boosh, they're there for all your legal needs. I love that description of a paralegal. I'm hoping that it is what you say it is. And I don't know what it is I is saying anymore. Well... Joe, I've got some more information because Georgie has come back with a second email and here's what that one says. Dear Joe and Tom, nice and formal again, sorry for the extra email. My chicken farmer fiancé 
just reminded me that his cattle farmer friend regularly buys semen from Johnny May's dad. This. Many thanks, Georgie. This is ludicrous. This is, <laughs> uh, this is bollocks. It is bullocks. It is both bollocks and bullocks. <laughs> First of all, my chicken farmer fiance. So is that chicken farmer fiance? <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> and then my cattle farmer friend, or is it a cattle farmer friend? <laughs> and so she, she's either Dr. Doolittle or she's just got loads of farm friends, which is what I'm kind of guessing. It suggests, Joe, that there's a whole breed of animal farmers out there. Like, you know, there's a chicken up in Suffolk who runs a small holding. He's mates with a cow up the road who does like arable. There's a couple of pigs, who do, <laughs> a couple of pigs who do more the sort of, homegrown veg, organic veg boxes to get delivered. <laughs> I need to do a little bit more digging on this and find out why exactly Johnny May's dad has got a fridge full of cattle semen. Now, I mean, we're assuming it's cattle semen. The email, I'm just going to read you the email again. It says, my chicken farmer fiancé just reminded me that his cattle farmer friend regularly buys semen from Johnny May's dad. There is no, <laughs> there's no reference there, Joe, to it being semen from an animal. <laughs> I mean, Johnny's had a very successful last couple of years in Test Rugby. There will be people out there who'll be looking to access the speed that's within his genes. And possibly Johnny May's dad has looked at this market and gone, it was my genes that created that speed. <laughs> <laughs> what you've done, what you, what you do to me, what you do to me on a regular basis is abhorrent. <laughs> And I don't know what abhorrent means, really, but I think I'm using it in the right sort of context. So I'm going to stick with it without knowing 100%. Well, listen, Joe, look, you don't worry about it. I've got a bit more news. Have you seen that you've appeared in a German newspaper? Nein, Tom, why would I read a German newspaper <laughs> and talk like Sean Connery? <laughs> well, Joe, the German newspaper Bild has got a story. See if you can guess which recent picture you posted on social media. The German newspaper Bild is referring to by the headline Rugby star feared Princess Einen Geburtstag. Rugby feared Gispuk Einen Vitard. What? Rugby star feared Princess Innen Geburtstag. So there's princess, there's fat, there's rugby. I'm guessing it's something <laughs> like fat rugby player dresses up as Belle from Beauty and the Beast. It's correct. That charming image of you in a darling yellow frock in your marigolds in your kitchen has made the German newspapers, right? I'll try and read you this opening paragraph from the story. And I'm conscious that when we do German impressions, we always basically shout like Germans, <laughs> a bit like you did, like Germans are angry. So I'm going to turn that on its head and I'm going to read this in the style of a German late-night radio host who does the midnight hour. You listen to this in your taxi on the way home. So it's not angry, it's intimate. Okay. England's rugby star John Marler zeichnet sich durch breiten Schultern und halt Muskeln aus. Doch sein Herz ist sehr weich. Wenn es um seine Kind geht, mag der Sportler alles. Wow. I actually... <laughs> feel slightly aroused and i don't know why you your voice your tone and you just the words you're using are very very lovely have you just said that fat rugby player dresses as 
tiny princess in German. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, well, what a treat. Um, I can't believe how crazy uh, some people got over me dressing up in a dress for my daughter's princess party, which nearly really went tits up because we all got our outfits on. Me, my wife, Jasper and Felix. Jasper wasn't best pleased when he was given his pink uh, princess dress. However, that quickly changed when he put it on and he really bought into it. So, you know, big raps to him, even though he's definitely not listening to this. We all got dressed and we sent Maggie out and we said, right, you've got to go get your princess outfit on now and then we'll come in for the party and stuff like that. And she said, no, don't want to do it. I went, pardon? She went, I don't want a princess party anymore. I went, um, Maggie, I've got a wig on and I've squeezed myself into a size 18 bell from Beauty and the Beast dress <laughs> with some long sleeved gloves on and you're now saying you don't want to do it. And she said, yeah, I don't want to do it. I went, that's fine. We're just going to sit here on our own having dinner without you then as princesses and enjoying our life. And with that, she went, no, 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 I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to do it. So luckily it did um, work out in the end. And I quite liked it, actually. <laughs> Joe, let's get our guest on. But before we do, I forgot to mention earlier that it is actually a lawyer. Yeah, law. Let's get them on. Law. Yeah. Law. Yeah. Lawyer. Yeah. Let's do it. Right, here we go. Our guest today is a lawyer called James. How are you, James? Yeah, I'm really good. How are you guys doing? We're good. We should warn you, we're going to start this one in a slightly different way because we've got a lot of questions from our listeners, Joe. Yeah, you're in for a tough ride, this one. I know that you're a defence lawyer. Yes, that's correct, Jess. And you're in for a bit of a hard time from these questions from the listeners. I'll do the first one. It's a relatively aggressive question, reading it now. So I'll try and disguise the aggression on it, James, by reading it in a more pleasant way than I could. This is a question from Tim. Tim says, how come it's so expensive for you to write a letter? Can I say it as if Tim was slightly more aggressive? Yeah, you do that, Joe. So this, this question comes in from Tim and Tim says, how come it's so expensive to write your bloody letter? <laughs> which I think is the actual tone in which he sent it. Thank, thanks again, Tim. Um <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's expensive to write a letter because you're not just writing a letter you have to read around the subject you have to look at case law so you're not just paying for the time to write the letter you're paying for us or me to talk to you to try and get the background potentially read some papers it takes a lot of time to get to the position to actually write a letter that's suitable to send to another side do you and the irony of this james i imagine is you probably don't physically even write the letter do you have someone do it for you lots of older solicitors do have their own secretaries but I, I type all my own letters. So what you're saying is massive value. For the, the James letter writing technique is actually a massive value for money. It is. I can write any letters. <laughs> so let's say Tom's in trouble again. He's done something ludicrous like... The same thing as before. What did you do before? You know what I did because you bailed me out. Yeah. But I've done it again. I've not learnt my lesson and you represented me, Joe, before. Um, you did a decent job, but we've decided that we need to get a proper man in so we've asked you, James, how much is it going to cost for a good lawyer per hour? Per hour. So it doesn't matter how much you earn. Any advice in the police station is free. It's covered by the government. So you wouldn't have to pay anything for the advice in the police station. If it then goes to court, there's a scale. So you would be eligible for legal aid if you earn under £13,000 a year. If you earn over that, then you're considered eligible or able to pay for a solicitor. Depending on the solicitor you go for, you can pay a couple of hundred pounds an hour to represent you. But am I, am I talking to a solicitor or a lawyer or a barrister? 
or a judge? Like, what's the difference between all these? Why do I need a barrister? Do I need a solicitor? Like, so a, a lawyer is an umbrella term for a qualified legal practitioner, which can include a solicitor or a barrister. Barristers have a higher right of audience, so they they can represent clients in higher courts in England. So in the nineties, solicitors were able to undertake further exams to become higher rights advocates. So that's something that I undertook a couple of years ago, a higher rights of audience. So I I have a, a wig and a gown. And I wear that and go to court in the Crown Courts as well as Magistrates' Courts. <laughs> Good Joe laughing at the mere mention of wig. Sorry. You had, to, you had to take an exam in order for you to be able to wear a wig. Yeah, <laughs> yeah further exams, yes. <laughs> L- ludicrous. So let's say in this case, like I'm down the police station. I've done the thing that I did before. Regrettably, I don't know why I've done it again. It's habitual. You turn up as my lawyer. Yes. What happens next? I would come down to the police station and speak to the officer who's dealing with you and they would give me disclosure, which is a document, either written or verbal, which is what they believe has happened. I would then speak to you in a confidential room and you would explain to me what had happened. And then I would explain to you that there are three different options in an interview. One is to answer no comment. The second is a prepared statement. Write down what you've said to me. And then I would read that at the beginning of the interview to almost take some control over the interview. Um, You're not then shocked by the questions that are asked of you. And the third is to answer questions. I would explain the police caution to you, which is you do not have to say anything, which means exactly that. You have a legal right to sit there and say nothing if you want to. Um, But it may harm your defence if you do not mention when questioned something which later on in court. And the final part is anything you do so may be given in evidence. means exactly that. The interview is tape recorded and that could be played in court if it goes to court. My fear, Joe, is that James would turn up and they'd ask for a packet of fags and James would go, no, I am a lawyer. And then the next thing, the bloke's going, listen, I need a mobile phone. Can you smuggle a mobile phone? Keister. I, I did once have a client represented on Boxing Day in court and considering he'd been through the police station and through court security and he'd been searched, I went down into the cells to see him, spoke to him about what had happened in court and I said to him, look, I'll get you out today. It's Boxing Day, I'm going to get you out. I was confident of that. <laughs> and I heard, saw, saw his hands disappear under the table and heard some rustling for a few seconds. Out came a Kit Kat. Oh. <laughs> and I, I had to say no. I didn't know where it had come from. <laughs> what? So we're in that confidential room. I, let's say I'm committing the crime now and I've asked you to be my barrister, my lawyer, my solicitor. Still haven't cleared that one up for me. Are you asking me to tell you the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? Do you want to know whether I've done it or not? In the police station, it does help. So in the past, I've had a client who said to me, I really haven't done this. I don't know what they're talking about. I'm innocent. So I said to her, fine, if they were instructions, they may have further evidence they're going to put to you. She said, no, no, definitely haven't done this. Get into the interview. And there are about six lever arch files in the corner. It turns out that she'd be under surveillance for about a year. And there was phone records, there was CCTV. And obviously we had to stop the interview during that and have another chat in private. <laughs> Do you leave so that? It, it does. It does help. <laughs> you leave that chat, and you go into the second chat, and you go. Um, I don't want to question your integrity here. However, it seems a lot like you've lied to me in the first interview <laughs> meeting you had. Um, and these video. Oh well, yeah, I forgot about that time. It, it puts you in a difficult position because if if someone says to you in the police station, "Yeah, yeah, I've done it," and then you go no comment uh, and go to court, you can't in court advance a positive defence. So they can't then get to court and say, oh, actually, I'm going to say it was self-defence because I have a duty to the court not to mislead them. So if they've said to me they've done it earlier on, then they can't give evidence and say, look, look, actually, this is what happened because they're clearly lying in court. And the most important (laughs) rule as an advocate is to never ask a question you don't know the answer to. 
So you, you actually use a huge amount of manipulation in order to get the the answers you're looking for. Yes. Yeah, I wouldn't call manipulation. I'd call, I'd call it I'd call it artful questioning. <laughs> mm. If that's how you describe it, that's fine. But I'll, st- I'll stick with manipulating. You build up your questions to try and get to the point you want. And then when you get to that point, you stop asking questions. So you've got to be clever and know the point to ask, stop asking questions. I tell you what, you are my defence lawyer. Yep. Joe, okay? And the crime, which is a, a new crime on the statute books, is that I've been accused of lying on the Mojala podcast and not admitting that the teacher who was coming on was my sister. Yeah. That, that, that is the charge of lying on the Mojala show. James, you are the prosecuting lawyer in this case. Joe, uh, I've paid you to write me a letter, an extraordinary amount of money. I've uh, retained you as my brief. You're going to defend me. James, prosecute, go. Tom, how, how do you plead to the charge first? Joe, Joe, what should I say? Um, Tom, how do you want to plead to this? Not guilty. No, no, you've got to tell me, then I say it, you dickhead. All right. No, no, it's the other way around. Yeah, Tom, Tom would say it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tom, I think you should say, hang on, first of all, did you do it? Did you do it? I don't know why I'm looking, hang on, I don't know why I'm looking to my right as if you're in the room with me and pretending <laughs> roleplay. You're on the screen. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Tom, did you do it? Uh, don't worry about that. I'm just going to say not guilty, Joe. Look at me, I'm an honest man. Yeah, yeah, I think you should say not guilty. Okay, not guilty. Did you invite your sister to the show? Yes, I did. So I have for no further questions. Oh, shit, what have I said? I'm thinking, Joe, I'm panicking here. I've, I've, what have I said? Okay, let's do that line again. Do the question again for him. Did you invite your sister to the show? Joe, what should I say? Uh, d- uh did you? Did you? <laughs> no, no, okay, How okay. How am I paying you for this? I know, I know, I know, I know what to say. Wait, say this, yeah. say... Did you invite my sister to the show? Say that to him. <laughs> so I, I learned this technique that you should always bamboozle people by answering a question with a question. So say, did you invite my sister to the show? Did you invite my sister to the show? Tom, you're here to answer questions. So could you please answer my question? Did you invite your sister to the show? <laughs> Joe, do I do the same thing, same tactic? <laughs> uh, so Tom, I want you to say this now. Say no, no comment. I feel guilty by saying no comment. Just say no comment. No comment. No comment. Who, who was the lady invited to the show? Order, 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 <laughs> order, sir, uh, judge, your honour, order. Objection. This line of questioning is both personal and inappropriate. Uh, sorry, I'll be the judge as well. Uh, be the judge. You bloody buffoon, what the bloody hell are you shouting order for? I shall order to maintain order in my bloody courtroom. Now sit down, you fool. Yes, Your Honour, of course. Carry on. The prosecution proceeds. Moving back to my last question. Who, who was the lady invited to the show? Joe, what should I say? Um, say... Do you want it, me to do the same tactic? You tell me, James. Who was the lady I invited to the show? Good. And then if he asked you again, say it was Winona Ryder. Okay. <laughs> Had you seen the woman before? It was Winona Ryder. Do you know her well? Joe? Say, yeah, she's my sister. <laughs> I'm not sure you're helping me here, Joe. Just say it. Listen to me, Tom. I am defending you. Are you no win, no fee? No, I need you. To, what you need to understand is that the court system is not about finding people guilty or not guilty or upholding the justice system. It is just one massive playground for barristers to massage their <laughs> egos and just play these little games with each other about 
I want the truth. You can't handle the truth, but I want the truth. You want the truth? I'll give you the truth. You snotty little no shit. That's not it. That's your little, your snot nose little shit. Few good men. Oh, that is wonderful in that with Demi Moore and uh, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, Cruise is in it, isn't it? Yeah, Tom Cruise is in that one. What are the most realistic depiction of the legal system in film and on TV? And which are the ones that you sit there with your legal mates going, what the fuck is this? So Sil- Silks was very good on BBC. Did you just say Simpsons? Silks. But <laughs> funny you should say the Simpsons, actually. I was called to a police station a number of years ago to Heathrow. A client was there who had allegedly swallowed some drugs and transported them back into the UK. And when someone is alleged to have swallowed drugs, they take them to... There are certain police stations in the country that have special toilets. And these <gasps> toilets are made of perspex, clear perspex, and they're on a stage. On a stage? <laughs> Can you pay to go and watch this? <laughs> Whenever the person goes to the toilet, they are watched. And there are Homer Simpson-style gloves underneath with a <gasps> hose. And so when packages are passed, they're hosed off and put into sample jars. And in 2018... Essex police had someone in custody for more than three weeks because he refused to pass the packages. No. And they actually had their Twitter page each day updated people on hashtag poo watch. See, I like that. No shit for three weeks. <laughs> Kept it in. I mean, you've got to respect that, Joe. I almost feel like they should let him off for the, let alone the physical strength, the mental strength. I would question why they swallowed it and I'd always advise them to maybe keister it in future. I've got, I've got a story about Keistering. Keistering. Oh, please. Yeah. Please, James. Could you, James, could you share any sort of stories you have or may have about keistering? One of my ex colleagues. He was, he was a barrister. A barrister keistering <laughs> stuff into court. Uh, was this that Kit Kat story you told me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the further one. But one, one, one of my ex colleagues was called to the police station. His client was arrested for a public order offence because he would go into Argos every lunchtime, <laughs> dressed incredibly smartly in his suit and would just stand there laughing at people. So the police were called and he was taken to the police station. So my colleague, Mike's colleague, goes in, speaks to his client and it turns out that he's been going into Argos and stealing the little pens and taking them home. And each evening he would put them into his anus <gasps> and then take them out again and take them back to the store. Oh, Fuck. <laughs> I didn't think we could do it. I didn't think we could reach a new low. Oh. He would wait there until he saw someone pick up an Argos pen. Oh, my. Look at the catalogue. Decide what to go for and put the pen to their mouth whilst they were thinking. Oh, Jesus. No. And oh. just laugh. Oh, God. Let me just get a little bit more clarity on this. Are you are you sure this is true, James? I, I, I'm, I'm sure this is true. I now always carry a pen with me everywhere I go. <laughs> what branch of Argos? Can't disclose which branch, but it was up north. It went up north several times. Um, <laughs> right, our next question is from Alan with two L's. That's strange. Is that a, is that a misspell? Maybe Steve's cooked that one out. Oh, is that how you spell Alan, Tom? Is that how you spell Alan? You can spell it that way, yeah. Can you? All right, well, I'm going to say it's either Alan or Allan. Allan. <laughs> so we've got a question from Allan here, and he says, what's the easiest crime to get away with? I'm intrigued as to why he's asked that. There's obviously something in it, but what is the easiest crime to get away with then, James? Crimes now are difficult to get away from because most people have got a mobile phone with them, and with mobile phones, it sends a message to a receiver nearby. 
to three of them and actually triangulates where you are. But what about burner phones? I'll make a phone call. I'll say, Tom, I'm going to go rob this Audi now. And then I'm going to lob that phone and then I'll get another phone. Do do you know what I mean? So surely there are some ways of getting away with these crimes. It's interesting, Joe, that when you're trying to think of an imaginary crime there, you're not going for a bank or you're not going to get diamonds. You're just going to pop down Audi and rob them. Maybe that says a lot about my criminal career, that I'm not exactly aiming for the the stars (laughs) in it. I'm just going, oh, fancy a little... Swedish chocolate. It's not really Ocean's Eleven, is it? It is amazing that I've, rep- I've represented people in the past who have shoplifted from Poundland. And <laughs> you go into what? the police station and they say to you, a couple of hundred pounds worth of goods here. And oh, they've, wow. they've hidden it on their person and walked out with no bags. Um, the next question we've got is from Tom. And is this you, Tom, or is this a different Tom? Uh, do the question. I'll tell you after. What was the most blatantly guilty case you've ever had to defend? Wasn't my question, but I like it. I like it a lot. It's, it's not particularly answering the question, but I represented two people. They went into the police station answering bail, and the police officer said to them, I'm just dealing with another matter. Can you come back in an hour? The two of them went off, came back an hour later with a couple of carrier bags. They'd spent the last hour in Sainsbury's nicking goods. <laughs> police officer wanted to re-interview them, put them in cells, went off to Sainsbury's, looked at CCTV, came back and further arrested them for more thefts. Well, to be fair to them, the police officer... When they first walked in, he he said, can you come back in an hour? At no point did he say, can you come back in an hour? Make sure in that hour you don't go and steal stuff from any other shop. So I would actually blame the police officer for not being specific enough. That's fair fair enough, yeah. Strong defence or weak defence? It wouldn't be successful. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm getting the impression you don't want to represent me uh, when I steal alcohol from Sainsbury's. What alcohol would you steal, Joe? Uh, Kraken, bit of spiced rum that go well in my dark and stormies. Would I steal it? No, probably not. I'd feel bad. I haven't stole something in years. Oh, I mean, I've stole caps for years, but I'm stole. <laughs> what was the last thing you stole, Joe? I used to have this thing where I played for Isha on loan when I was first starting out, and every away trip I would steal from the hotels there. And it wasn't a case of like Ross from Friends who would steal all the bog roll and all the apples or. Light bulbs. Or the toiletries. Or the light but yeah, that's a bit, a bit of it, wouldn't it? It was a little bit more like, it would be like, right, what's the best bit of art I can nick? Or what's the best uh, statue or just something more physical, like a vase? And it, I got caught, one of the boys caught me. They were like, what's this in your bag? It's like a mini Buddha's head on a, <laughs> on a stick. And they were like, I was like, oh no. On a stick? On a stick. I was like, oh no. They were like, oh God. And then... I was rumbled. I had to stop stealing from hotels. I have no idea why I was stealing from hotels. I just thought that you could because you're paying to stay there and that was included. Uh, Do me a favour, Joe. Could you cue the adverts as if you're the judge, please? Yes, of course. Yes, yes, of course, Tom. Order, order in the courtroom. You are sentenced to listening to the adverts. (laughs) This episode is sponsored by Ian Miller. Ian spells his name with two I's, so he's more like Ian Duncan Smith than Sir Ian McKellen, at least in the way he spells his name. We're sponsored too by Daniel Hutt. Daniel has done karaoke twice, and his chosen songs were Your Song by Elton John and Space Oddity by David Bowie. Our next sponsor is Marcus Smell My Cheese Partridge. He's just called Marcus, but we're working on a nickname. And we're sponsored too 
by James Oakes, the strongest and hardest of trees to be named after. Well done, James. To be more like James, Marcus, Daniel and Ian, go to patreon.com forward slash Joe Marler Show and grow the show. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Shrink the Box is back for a brand new season. This is the podcast where we put our favorite fictional TV characters into therapy. Join me, Ben Bailey-Smith, and our brand new psychotherapist, Namone Metaxas. Hi, Ben. Yes, this season we're going to be putting the likes of Tommy from Peaky Blinders, Cersei from Game of Thrones on the couch to learn why their behavior creates so much drama. So make sure you press the follow button to get new episodes as soon as they land on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Shrink the Box is a Sony Music Entertainment original podcast. So those were the ads. Um, Tom, you can have the next question if you want. I have got a question for you, James, from Crumpy. And it's as I see this question, Joe, that I realise this may be the most aggressive of all. So can we do that thing again? Well, I'll read it in the least aggressive way possible to give James the soft option. And if you can go, I think, as Crumpy has intended it after me, yeah? I think on this occasion we should flip that and you be aggressive and I be calm. Here's a question from Crumpy. He says, how do you sleep? At night. I'm guessing he doesn't mean like what position, like do you sit one arm un- <laughs> under the pillow, one arm on top, legs crossed on your back thingy. Tom, you go now. Question here from Crumpy. How do you sleep at night? Yeah, that's fair. If, if the police investigate their matter properly, someone that is guilty will be found guilty. All I'm there to do is try and get a more lenient sentence through mitigation, if there is any mitigation. You defend guilty people and sometimes I'm guessing you know they're guilty. Yes, so... Everyone is entitled to representation. Yeah. Everyone has the presumption of innocence until they're proven guilty in a court. So I represent people that are alleged to have committed offences. If everything works properly in that if the police as information gatherers do their job properly and then give the case to the prosecution and they prosecute properly, if someone's guilty, they will get convicted. Lots of the clients I see have underlying issues so whether that's mental health issues whether it's addiction through drugs and alcohol they have mitigation they're committing these offenses to fund a habit and it's that habit that ultimately needs addressing so they need to go through alcohol treatment or a drug treatment plan but because of cuts over the last few years those sentences aren't offered as freely to people that need it so there is a vicious cycle if the underlying root cause was to be addressed, lots of these people wouldn't be coming back through the court like a revolving door. That's pretty sad, isn't it, Joe, hearing that? Yeah, it is, and it tells me that I was going to ask you a bit later on, but like, what is our justice system for? Is it to rehabilitate like a lot of the Scandinavian countries that have got such low crime rates and such high rehabilitation rates because they're they're fully focused on rehabilitating offenders, whereas we seem to be about just penalising them. At the moment, there is something not quite right because our reoffending rates are so high. Whether that's people are getting stuck in the system, they're in a vicious cycle, maybe maybe the courts aren't dealing with 
the underlying issues. So if they were to deal with the mental health aspect and addiction, then we possibly would have a much lower reoffending rate. Um, I, I still need to get my head around defending guilty people, James, because I get that you need to hold people to account and make sure that the justice system is being done properly and appropriately. But what if that person then gets off? Like you said, the police, if someone's guilty, the police should have enough to prosecute. But what if they don't? For example, Tom's committed a murder again, and you know full well he's committed that crime, and yet he's walking the streets again. How that's what I'm getting. How do, how does that sit with your conscience? So it, it it doesn't matter what I think in terms of a client when they come to me. It's what their instructions are. So if they say to me, "Look, I really haven't done this," then you'd represent them. I found it very difficult when I started with my conscience. Um, it's it's not an easy thing to think at the end of the day that you know someone's got off, and you you think deep down, you know, I think they've done this. It's not an easy thing to to live with, but you just have to try and switch off. At the end of the day, it's it's a, it's a job. You're representing someone based on their instructions. So if they've said to me, look, I haven't done this, you have to believe them and you have to represent them on, on those grounds. So juries in this country determine whether we're guilty or not. Is that right? Have you never had the letter, Joe? What, what do you mean, letter? So I've done jury service. No. You get a letter through the post. Yeah. What? How have you got picked for that? It's just random, isn't it, James? You just take off the taken from the electoral roll, I think, isn't it? That's correct, yeah. Completely random. Are you sure? Joe, what I would say about my experience of being a juror yeah. is, number one, it was massively exciting. It was quite a serious allegation. How long were you doing it for? So you get two weeks. It was an initial two weeks. The first couple of days you go in and if there's not a case, you don't. You get sent home. So you have a nice day off. And then we got quite a big case and that took up the rest of my jury service. And for me, James, that was my first experience of that, how that system works. The discussions that we had in the jury service made me think the juries worked because we properly went through all the all the allegations. It was debated really well. And then I was the foreman of the jury, so I had to stand up in front of the court. And all his mates were in the uh, public gallery. And his mates were just giving us the absolute evil eye all the way through. So I've got to stand there and I just look at the judge because they obviously ask you how you find them on each of the charges. And I couldn't look at the public gallery because he had his massive rogue mates all trying to put us off. So we've delivered a guilty verdict and then the sentence has come in and the judge was clearly an old-fashioned judge because he sent him down for life. And we all went to the pub afterwards with this enormous weight on our shoulders. We thought, we've just sent a bloke down for life. So yours was what, two weeks? Two weeks. You had to stop everything in your life, not that you were that busy working for the BBC, online. I, was, I think I was meant to be at Wimbledon or something like that. It was in the summer. But yeah, you can't say that I'm covering Wimbledon. You just... Um, what, you can't say no? Unless you give an incredibly good reason. Like, um, you'll know more about this than me, James. There's, there's certain things that you can say, can't you? I think the first time I got a letter, I was a student and I was due to have my finals. So I just said, I'm doing my finals. And they said, don't worry, we'll put you back on the, put you back in the pool. But the second time I had to do it. And I'm really glad I did it. Even though there were terrifying points. There were bits, Joe, when you'd go for lunch and this guy's mates would all be hanging around outside the court and they knew you were a juror. And they'd all be trying to give you a bit of a look and all the rest of it. And you were going after the sandwich shop around the corner. And you knew that nothing could happen because what are they going to do? Are they really going to intimidate a juror? But they were sort of trying to intimidate you. It was sort of letting you know that they were there and they were watching you. Do you get to go home? Or do you all have to like stay in like a locked room like when they're deciding on the Pope? You know, they, sh- they shut the doors and they chain it up and they get all the things and then they're like oh no they're gonna they put black smoke going out or something oh god we're all waiting no it's still black smoke they haven't decided yet 
a few hours later they bring in some sandwiches and bits and bobs and then they're like oh they haven't decided and then and eventually they have they've put up some white smoke and then it's oh there's pope john paul the 42nd because they're all called john paul why aren't you trapped in a room so we were stuck in a room for a long time joe and they brought us sandwiches and, and cups of tea and stuff like that there's these people that five of them i think they did jury service for two years how on earth are they putting two years of their life on hold that's a long time so it's a long time. The long, longest I've had is I, I represented the man who gave the gun and was convicted to Mark Duggan sparking the London riots in 2011. Wow. And that was that was a three-month-long trial. A couple of the jurors couldn't sit because they were teachers and it was coming into exam season. That was a hung jury and there was a retrial. Uh, he was convicted at the retrial. So by hung jury, you don't mean that every male member of that jury had a massive penis? <laughs> Just They could, couldn't come to a decision. <laughs> because of their penises. <laughs> Because all the blood was going around their massive penises. <laughs> That's what that means. I want to talk about your wig and what you wear and what other people wear in a courtroom and also what this courtroom malarkey is about. Why is it so fancy in a courtroom? Start there for me. Why is it so grand? I've been to the Royal Courts of Justice in London just to clarify, not for anything real. It was just a rugby disciplinary, so that doesn't count. It's fake, fake life. But it's an unbelievable building. It's like... Oh, it's just architecture all around it. It's amazing. Why Why all around law is it so posh? That is a particularly nice building. I've represented someone there before and it's just incredible to go inside. Uh, but not all courts are the same. What are the stinkers? What are the horrendous ones? Oxbridge Magistrates Court's not very nice. It's just, it's very old. It hasn't, hasn't been done up for years. we go with Oxbridge then. Talk me through your wig. Cause, and le- are you wearing your wig now? I've got one. You can have a look at it if you'd like. Please. Oh, yes, please. So there it is. Oh my God, it's... It completely changes you. So it's made of aged horse hair. Does this mean that there are loads of um, white horses running around without tails? Or do they dye the horse hair white? Like you could get it from a like a brown horse. Yeah, why is, why is there no brown? <laughs> there is actually brown in it. It's weaved in. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah. Wow. Is it really hot? Does it get hot? It, do, it does get very hot to wear. Do you have to dust it? Do you have to keep it sort of powdered? Barristers like to have dirty wigs because it looks like they're more experienced. Yeah, but can't you just cheat that? Yeah, so they might kick it around. And... Yeah, you know, chuck it up a chimney. And what is the theory behind wigs? Why'd you wear them? It was down to fashion. It used to be a status symbol to wear a wig. It was to disguise balding, <laughs> which is possibly due to the rise in syphilis at the time. It, it also, in a way, acts as a as a disguise because if you were to see a judge that sat in court wearing a wig outside of court, it's highly likely you wouldn't recognise them because they do look completely different. It's ludicrous, absolutely ludicrous. And we, we wear a gown as well. Just for fashion or...? Barristers used to wear different colours of gowns depending on the season, so they would wear green in the summer, uh, violet in the winter and red on special occasions. What's a, what counts as a special occasion in court? <laughs> You're defending a murderer and you find out that the murderer is his murderer's birthday on the first day of court and you go... <laughs> Oh, it's your birthday today. I'm going to wear something special. So today I'm going to wear my red robe. They turned to black black gowns in 1685 when Charles II died as a way of the bar going into mourning. Mm. And it's just stuck with the times, continued wearing black. That is a great fact. It's quite a long morning, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's a long, a long time of mourning. There's, there's also a um, triangular piece of cloth on the left shoulder of a barrister's gown. And it's believed that was a money sack for people to put brief fees it's split into two parts, and it was believed one part was for gold coins and one for silver. 
How much is a wig? How much is a wig? A wig, wig, wig start around six hundred pounds for a real a real horsehair wig. Six hundred pounds. No wonder you're charging so much to write a letter. <laughs> You've got to pay for your bloody wig and gown. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not cheap, but then you have to think of how long they take to make. They're hand-stitched and the horsehair is dried for years. So they start at 600 How much, could, if you wanted to go to town on a, wi- on a wig, how much could you pay? You could pay thousands for a wig. <sighs> thousands for a wig? I'm not sure about this. There's a little business opportunity for, for us here, Joe. Yeah. If we can, just, if we can start selling wigs at an entry point of 450 500 we'd clean up. Who's hand-stitching them, though, between me and you? Mm. Mm. Well, what we'd say is, yes, ours are cheaper, but one of the reasons for that is because they're machine-made in Thailand. (laughs) But they're more breathable, and no horses were harmed in the making of these wigs. You're a pioneer in all of that. Um, James, why have you got your wig at home? Why have have you got it to hand? Have you been having to do... Uh, work from home presumably you haven't been able to go into court yes so so during covid they have started virtual hearings so i have been sitting at home with wig and gown on taking part in court hearings Uh, okay so are you sitting there in your gown and your wig and shorts (laughs) right so you obviously deal james in real life courtrooms yes i do yeah but i've had a fair amount of experience in the rugby courtrooms and I've always struggled with it, with how serious they take it. Like I mentioned, I've been to the Royal Courts of Justice for one of them with Judge Jeff Blackett, who presided over over my case when I had a fight to punch up a dust up with Marcos Ayerza. But that was as posh as it got because the rest were just at the Holiday Inn in Bristol. <laughs> Sometimes we we got bumped up to the Sofitel in Heathrow for a bit, you know, a bit more, mm. you know, yeah, nicer sandwiches there. But it always amazed me how serious they took it, and I never took it as serious, like real law or real life, because I was like, it's sport. But they treated it as if it was a courtroom and stuff like that. Do you have to wear a suit, Joe? This, yeah, this this is my my issue is that you talk about having to wear this wig and robe and gown and look in a particular way because it's traditional and that's what's required. You said it's what's required from the Crown Court or whatever for you to wear, even even sat on Zoom. And I've found that my demeanour, including what I'm wearing, is taken into account, one, one of which I went to in a check shirt and chinos and some work boots and a bright orange mohawk instead of a shirt and tie. <laughs> and it was commented that my demeanour and appearance wasn't appropriate. It does sound like you've been stitched up. Joe, you've been stiffed. You've been massively stiffed. I know, but this was over 12 years ago and I, can't, I haven't really got the energy to go back and, and moan about it. I'll just do it on this podcast. Okay, so you walk into this room. What are you seeing when you walk into this into this room at the, the Sofitel the Holiday Inn or, weirdly, the Royal Courts of Justice? <laughs> yeah, um, I'm seeing this U-shape of tables that have been set out. On the right-hand side will be the panel. So like the jury, essentially, and it's usually a three-person panel. You've got a lawyer with you, have you? Right, let's go with my probably most high-profile high one with Gypsy Gate with Samson Lee. I ended up getting taken to Canary Wharf, which was the H- I'm going to say it's the HSBC building. Is there a HSBC building? Does that sound right? Yeah, one of the two towers. One yeah. of one of the towers there, and I was suited and booted. I had my uh, my solicitor or lawyer with me, and I go in there. There's three member panel. One guy had flown in from Australia. Australia. Yeah, the lead on the panel. The other guy was from f- Canada. He'd come from Canada, and I'm th- I'm trying to remember that. I think the other one might have been French. 
Sounds like a good joke. So you've got an Australian, a Canadian, a Frenchman. They walk into a bar. So they're at the table at the top, like top table. I walk in and we sit down on the left-hand side with my lawyer and representative. And on the right-hand side was World Rugby and the prosecution and the case they were putting forward. And then it's just gone ahead. as if, And they're all talking with all these words, very similar to how James has spoken, all very, very big words that I still don't understand and definitely didn't understand six years ago or however long it was. And um, I had no idea where I was. I, th- I just thought, how's this real life? It's not real life. It's, surely it's just rugby and we're just thinking, but it's being treated in the same way. And that was as close as I've got to uh, it being a real courtroom. And when they came out with two weeks and a £20,000 fine, which I didn't see coming in the slightest, I turned to my lawyer and said, oh, my God. He said, yeah, yeah, we'll adjourn. We'll go speak about this outside. Went and spoke about it outside. I said, fucking hell, mate. You didn't tell me that was coming. I didn't. You didn't say anything about money. He was like, yeah, I didn't see that coming either. I was like, brilliant. Can't we go back in and ask for a longer ban? And he was like, what? I said, look, I won't pay the fine, but you can ban me for a year. He said, I'm not entirely sure that's how it works. I was like, yeah, but it's just about trying to find that money, mate. Twenty grand. So when they say 20 grand, like, do they expect you to stump up 20 grand straight away? They gave me 28 days. So you can't, you can't pay over the course of six months or something? They gave me 28 days and then we adjourned again and went back in and said, can we have longer to pay it? They adjourned again. Christ, they go on for it. How many times do you adjourn, James? Well, at the moment, quite a lot because of COVID. Everything's getting adjourned at the moment. There's a lot of faffing. Seems to be a lot of faffing in all of this. There's a lot of faffing. But when you went to your disciplinary hearing, do you feel you got a better result having a solicitor? Well, this, yeah, this is a good question because there's part of me that thinks, why can't I go in there on my own and just say, look, this is what I did. This is the, but I've got no knowledge. Like they wouldn't expect that, would they? prosecution or the judges because they meet and i wouldn't cope for longer than 30 seconds literally because of the way they can talk the words that they use i'm not dumbing it down but i couldn't keep up with uh appendages and different terms at the speed at which they're trying to do and the mit- even the mitigation that took me like three or four bands to work out what the fuck is mitigation <laughs> which funnily enough i never got any of so it, it didn't really make a difference to me but I guess, yes, I did need represented in all of them, even though I'm pretty sure had I not had a representative, I'd have probably got the same. But it does amaze me um, that they do treat it so so seriously. It doesn't sound like they treat you like a, like a grown-up man. Yeah, but how else would you want it, Tom? I agree with you, but I was a naughty boy and should have been punished accordingly, and I was punished accordingly, so that I can sit here and moan about it. But at the same time i i was wrong in in my sport and i got punished for it but i do think it is rather archaic in terms of i give alan jones a little tickle wrong wrong time wrong place and get 10 weeks ban on the same weekend someone physically assaults someone else by punching them square in the nose and he gets banned for 3 weeks so it, it seems inconsistent to someone looking at it from the outside because well there is a huge inconsistency in those sentences but then you need to look at each offence on its own and their sentencing guidelines for each offence. And then it's mitigation or aggravating features that takes it up or down in terms of sentence. That was a really clean cut answer and I haven't got a huge comeback to it. Although I would still argue that me and Tom commit the same crime. So we go and nick Diet Coke from Aldi again. <laughs> Aldi own brand Diet Coke. Aldi own brand Diet Coke. We make, commit exactly the same crime. Tom gets four months. 
and I get eight months. Why? It's the same crime. Potentially, one of you has more previous convictions. Tom may have more mitigation. So you'd be looking at your personal circumstances. So potentially you're the only earner in the house. Um, you might have children uh, that you're looking after. You might have an addiction, and that's the only reason you did it. So there's lots of things you need to look at in terms of mitigation. Uh, what sort of strange laws are there that still exist? Like the ability to be able to take a policeman's helmet off his head and piss in it. Is that still around? <laughs> I can ask the two of you some questions if you'd like. Oh, yes, please. Yes, please. Yes, please. Yeah. So th- these are true or false. Um, so the first one is, it's legal for pregnant women to relieve themselves in a policeman's hat. It's tr- that's true. I'm going true. That's true, yes. That's false. What? That's oh. false. That's false. Can it be anyone then? It's not specific to pregnant women. No, no one no one can relieve themselves in the street. What? It really? Why, where's that come from? Have they ever been able to piss in a policeman's hat? <laughs> I don't believe so. Where'd that come from? If you're a policeman, can you piss in your own hat? <laughs> in the privacy of your own home. If you are a pregnant policewoman, are you allowed to urinate in your own hat? <laughs> in private, possibly. So it's never been possible to piss in a policeman's hat? It's not a current law, no. What's the statute of limitations on this? I'm just asking for a friend. So for, for some for some offences, so some, some offences are known as summary only, and they're offences that can only be heard in the magistrate's court, and there is six months from the commission of the offence to the date that the prosecution lays the evidence. High five, Joe. Um, next one, please, James. Is it illegal to gamble in a library? <gasps> what do you think, Joe? Are there still libraries? There's a few still being funded, yeah, thankfully. Um gambling can you sorry your honor can you just clarify the what sort of gambling can i do it on my phone or does it have to be like a card game or or is it a gentleman's bet where you go i bet you 50 (laughs) quid you can't um flick a bogey at that woman while she's sitting reading um pride and prejudice no so for for this question any gambling at all oh in the library tom why would it be illegal in the library no i'm gonna say it's false it's not illegal. I'm going to say it is true because I reckon there was some archaic thing when libraries were first established. Because you can, the great thing about libraries, you can go in there. If you've got nowhere else to go, you can go and sit in the library all day long. So I reckon there was some issue with people going to libraries and they were just dicking about and gambling. And people were absolutely sick of going, shh, all the time. So they brought a law in. You're not allowed to gamble in a library. It, it is true. It's uh, under the Library Offences Act of 1898 get in so is that 1-0 to me over joe that is 1-0 are you allowed to have sex in a library depends how much of a gamble it is good good next question is it illegal to fire a cannon within 300 yards of a building what sort of cannon are we talking about here like the one off a ship yes um within 300 yards well, I think if it was closer, there's no point in having a cannon because a cannon is able to launch a projectile over a significant distance. So if you're closer than 300 yards, you probably want to use perhaps a sword or your fists. Is it illegal to fire a cannon within 300 yards of a building? Yes, it is illegal. And I am also saying yes, partly because if I give the same answer to Joe for the rest of this quiz, I can't lose. But also... <laughs> I think that's one of the first examples of health and safety. Whoa, 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 what are you doing with that cannon? You can't fire that cannon within 300 years of Bill. What are you doing? Both very good. It's true. From 1839. Thank you. So that's 2-1. That's one. Right, one, one final question. Is it illegal to handle a salmon in suspicious circumstances? What can we define suspicious circumstances? Like, what are we doing to the salmon here? That, that would give away the answer. 
Uh, suspicious circumstances. Let's think of it. Right. I've gone to rob a bank and instead of taking a gun, I've taken a salmon. <laughs> and I'm using that as my weapon. I think if you saw anyone with a salmon and they weren't on a riverbank, I would, that would immediately make me suspicious. Be like, where the fuck are you walking around town with a salmon? <laughs> is it salmon with it in a suspicious circumstance? This is fucking ridiculous. Someone turns up at Twickenham with a salmon. Yeah. Actually, Twickenham's full of people eating salmon. No, they were, darling. <laughs> darling, there's salmon all over the place. Salmon, salmon sandwiches. We'll have some cucumber sandwiches, darling. We'll have a bottle of champagne together, darling. I don't know why I'm saying darling a lot. What was the question again? <laughs> Is it illegal to handle a salmon? <laughs> it's going to be illegal, isn't it? I don't know why it's illegal, but it's illegal. I'm going to say it is illegal. That's correct. Yeah, it is illegal. Um, and the Law Commission didn't elaborate on what counts as suspicious. Has anyone ever been prosecuted for, for handling a salmon in suspicious circumstances? I'm not aware. I mean, the, the law came in in 1986. So it's quite a new piece of legislation. So we've got a final question for you, James. Um, do you think we'll get mates rates now, James? Like, if we need a letter written, can we? What sort of reduction can we expect? Now you're a friend of the show. Oh, definitely mates rates. Mates rates to me still implies that he is going to cost me an arm and a leg because they use that papyrus paper and shit, don't they? They probably use quills <laughs> as well, don't it? That's why it's so expensive. They've got these massive duck feathers or something that's the. James, it's been brilliant to talk to you, mate. I really appreciate you coming on and giving us an insight into the world of law law and order law why why do i talk like that? i'd love to be a judge order bashing my uh gavel what's it called the gavel the, with a bit of thing yeah, the gavel which isn't actually used in uh courts in the uk really in america it is yeah i pretend it's an american court anyway order man order anyway james thanks for coming on thank you james thanks guys that's brilliant so Joe, that was our lawyer. What do you reckon? Yeah, I like that one. Um, very informative, um, slightly serious at times, and uh, definitely got me thinking that I should stay on the right side of the law, not the wrong side of the law. Um, so yeah, it's always nice having a listener come on as a guest, so I'd like that to happen more often if possible. Yeah, and if you want to support the show, search for Joe Marler Show on Patreon. Sign yourself up over there for some cheeky extra content. If you want another podcast to listen to, search for Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Geraint's starting a cycling club from scratch. And if you want to be part of it, you just listen to his podcast and you're in. He's got some massive guests in this first series, including Sir Chris Hoy, Lord Chris of Froome, and other people who aren't called Chris. Search for Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Who's on next episode, please, Tom? Joe, it's a penetration tester. No, actual tester of penetration yes it is joe it's an actual tester of penetration and if you don't know what that means neither do i so we can find out together next week well done tom bye-bye crowd network a place where you belong sports social podcast network